Hi everyone, and welcome to the first episode of a Thrifted Pair podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Ken, and to my right is Eric, and we are the co-owners of Little Elm Goods. You can find us on Poshmark, eBay, and Mercari, and on Instagram, our handles are at Little Elm Goods and at Little Elm Thrifts. In our first podcast, we wanted to kind of go over who we are and how we came to start this reselling business that we've been doing for the past 13 months. So I'm actually not, you know, from the U.S. originally. I was born and raised in India for the first eight years of my life. And because my dad is very smart and he was very sought after, he got a job for Microsoft back in 96. And that's when we moved to the U.S. After that, we spent the next 12 years or so traveling the country where he would do different jobs for different companies. So uh, after living in Seattle for six months, we moved to Edison, New Jersey, and then Madison, Wisconsin. And then he worked for Apple, you know, in, in the late 90s. So we were living in Cupertino, California. And then the last move we did was to Texas, Dallas specifically. He worked for Frito-Lay for a while, and then now he just does, like, consulting gigs out of uh, Texas. Like, they'll send him all over the world to help with. You know, since 2001, we've pretty much been in Dallas. And, you know, I pretty much grew up here, high school onwards, and I went to uh, college for architecture because that's what I wanted to do. At least that's what I thought I wanted to do. And I graduated with a degree in architecture and I was working for the city of Arlington and I was working on my master's and I just kind of realized that I was going down this path that I wasn't, you know, very excited about. There came an opportunity where a friend of mine told me, hey, you know, they're looking for project managers in construction at the company he worked at and he was asking me if I might be interested in that. And that job sounded more fun than my job because it meant I could go in the field and I could, you know, direct people and do a lot more problem solving than I was doing at my job, which was mostly like a desk job where it was a lot of drawing and a lot of the same things every day. I just jumped on it. This was in late 2015. And so that's, that's the job I've had since then. And I've been at this job for almost five years, you know, because I had a pretty decent job. I would travel a lot places. I would like to travel, you know, pretty regularly was New York city because one of my friends worked uh, in the city for Martha Stewart. And during one of these trips that I made out there is when I met Eric, you know, we, we hit it off right off the bat. I was there for two, three days and we kept talking after. I went there in, was it March of 2016? That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's when we met after like his semester was over, he didn't have any internships or anything planned for the summer. And I asked him, Hey, do you want to come stay with me in Texas? Like over the summer, he was like, sure. And he came down 
and he spent the summer with me and you know we had a great time he did not like it very much because uh he wasn't used to the heat yeah it was like 65 maybe 70 when i left new york and i got off the plane and it was 105 <laughs> and i had never never been in that hot of a temperature like ever right. um i want to say the hottest I'd ever gotten in New York while I was there was maybe 97, but that's like one day of heat. And there's wind. Like I just got off and it was just like, boom, it just hit me. Right. And you came in like June, right? Like, like, the you know, it was, ju- yeah, it was like June or July. Yeah. It was, so it was like the dead middle of the Texas summer, which is not the best way to show off Texas. When I was waiting outside at the airport, <laughs> it started to somehow rain in 105 degree weather, which just boggled my mind. Cause it was just like full on thunderstorm out of nowhere. And that didn't help the temperature at all. It was still fucking hot. Right. So he spent the summer here. He liked it here. And when he went back, we kept talking and, uh, you know, that was his last semester. So after that, he pretty much just moved back and moved in with me. Like it was just like we had never really talked about it, but it was pretty much like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're going to live together. And that's, uh, you know, I'm pretty spontaneous when it comes to like major life decisions like that. And he didn't seem to mind. So. Yeah, it just kind of happened that way. So going into 2017, we were doing okay. You know, I had a okay job. You know, I was making decent money and I could support us while Eric looked for a job. And the first one he got was with this mystery shopping company. So the pay was terrible. But one of the perks was that I could mystery shop with the company And we were able to try out a bunch of different restaurants and places that we would have never normally gone to and get it all paid because we were doing these reviews for this mystery shopping company. So we got to, you know, spend that year, you know, really kind of hitting the town and getting to see all these places that we normally hadn't been to in Dallas. On top of that, I'm pretty sure this was the year when MoviePass had that promo where they were like, yeah, $10 a month. You can see all the movies you want. So all of 2017 and some of 2018, we saw like every movie that came out. And that was, you know, that was great. Spoiler alert. We're the reason that movie pass died. <laughs> to be, f- we didn't abuse it. We didn't, we never like sold it to anybody. We never did anything illegal. Well, yeah. We just really liked movies And when you tell me, hey, you can watch as many movies as you want for 10 bucks a month, I'm going to say, okay, let's see how many movies I can see this month. So going into, you know, 2018, Eric was uh, fed up with his job. He was trying to figure out a way to get out of it. And the best thing we, you know... He was he was applying to a lot of different places and I pretty much told him, hey, you should look into some construction jobs because the DFW area is booming. Like there's there's no short supply of jobs in construction. Now, his degree is in English. So he was like, this is stupid. Why am I applying for construction jobs? But lo and behold, Really, a lot of these jobs don't care if you have any background in construction, at least not for 
the stuff that's not specifically in the field. Like what I do is in the field. So you need to have some sort of construction related degree. But he worked for a sign company that he was an estimator. They let me do math for some reason. <laughs> God, if you if you understood my extreme dislike of math and just by inability to do it, you'd be like, why the hell would somebody hire me for this job? I mean, I did the job fine because there were spreadsheets. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I was capable of doing the job, but it's just, it's funny to me because math was never a strong point for me, so. Yeah, so, you know, most of 2018, we were just building and growing and, you know, saving our money and trying to just sort of get out of that uh, feeling of, oh, constantly living paycheck to paycheck, which is what it felt like in the beginning of this Going into 2019, uh, we were doing good, you know, we were doing great and I was bored and I was trying to figure out if there was some sort of hobby that I could do where I could, uh, occupy myself outside of my job because my job was very stressful and the hours were, you know, long, but for the most part, I'd gotten used to it and I have this issue where like when I do a job for more than a couple of years, I start to get bored of it. I was looking for a hobby and, you know, I was trying out a bunch of different ones, including ones that Eric likes to make fun of me for doing like leather crafting. I was just trying stuff out. There's nothing wrong with leather crafting. I just want to clarify that. I have nothing against leather crafting. It's the fact that my house is just full of like leather shrapnel to this very day. And he's like, I'll get back to it someday. <laughs> it's like, no, you won't. You're not going to get back to it. I will. I just maybe not right now when we're so busy. He's never getting back to it. Anyway, I was watching. I don't know how I went down this weird YouTube rabbit hole where I was watching videos with Reezy. Like it. I don't remember what like triggered the YouTube algorithm to start feeding me Reezy videos, but it did. And I started watching it and I started watching, you know, other people like Rally Roots and, you know, Rinzi and all those people. And I realized, oh, this is something that could be kind of fun because, you know, I was already somebody who really liked shoes. Like I would... Like when I would come home from work, I would, you know, watch Complex and all like their videos and I would like read about, oh, th these new Nikes are coming out or whatever. And it would annoy the shit out of Eric. Like he did not like how much time I was spending with shoes. But I started doing this little side business thing in March of 2019 with Poshmark because... It seemed to be the easiest to start with, and I didn't want to, you know, go too deep into it without really knowing what I was doing. So March, April, and May, I just soloed it, and I wasn't really thrifting shoes at that point. It was mostly outlet shoes, so I would go to the outlets on the weekends, pick up like five to ten pairs, and then sell them for five to ten dollars profit it was it was just to sort of figure out okay can this work and you know what the other options are like what I felt about it was that 
it's possible to make money that way, but you need a lot of money invested to really make any significant profit with it. So with flipping outlet shoes, you'd need to invest 20 grand to make, you know, two grand if you're lucky. And I did not want to do that. So obviously the other option was going the thrifted shoe route. And that was something that we started trying, like testing on the weekends, going sourcing for thrifted shoes. And we, you know, pretty quickly got pretty good at it. Like within six months of consistently sourcing, we had gotten to the point where we were making a couple thousand a month. I really thought, okay, this is something that we could turn into a real business. So at the end of 2019, we had been talking, you know, for a few months about how to transition out of both of us having full-time jobs to, you know, getting Eric to take over full-time for our business because at that point we were making, you know, about 3000 a month after the taxes and cost of goods. And it was, that was enough to where we could suggest, okay, you know, within the next six months, by maybe the middle of 2020, Eric can be completely full time. But, you know, as soon as you plan something out, something has to always get in the way and change everything. And obviously, if you've left the house in the last two months, you're aware of this coronavirus. So, you know, this hit and everything shut down and uh, companies like the one that I work at were not really affected because we're doing these huge projects for like hospitals and, you know, big companies in downtown Dallas and, you know, Houston and Austin. So they weren't really affected, but Eric worked for a smaller sign company and they pretty much couldn't afford to keep him on anymore. Yeah. I mean, do you know who needs signs during a pandemic? Nobody. Nobody <laughs> needs signs during a pandemic. So right around mid-February, you know, they couldn't keep him on anymore because they had seen their business just, you know, dive. So they let him go. And instead of having him scramble to get another job, i just talked with him about, hey, why don't we just start ramping up our business to the point where it's not an issue and you can just run the business full time. So since then to now, that's what we've been doing, where we're aggressively listing and selling to build up to the point where, you know, he, his our business income is, you know, more than what he was making full time. So I guess I'll give you guys a little bit of my backstory. I was born in New York, in New York City, and we lived there for probably half of my life, so probably until I was 12 or 13 or so. And uh, growing up, you know, it was just me and my mom for the most part, and then my stepdad kind of was involved a little bit. Um, growing up, he and I would go out and... <laughs> go into like the, the nicer neighborhoods and garbage hunt. So I've had a little bit of like reselling, I guess, from a young age because he would take that stuff and then, you know, sell it at garage sales and stuff. My mom and I moved in with my grandmother in like upstate New York uh, around 
13 or so because she was just really sick and she needed someone to take care of her. So we moved uh, to the middle of nowhere with like cows for next door neighbors. It was awesome, especially (laughs) after being raised in the city, you know, for 13 years or whatever. And then my grandmother passed away. And when she passed away, we we moved like out of the the house because it was just really bad for my mom to be around kind of like those memories and stuff. It was really hard for her. So after my mom and I moved out of the house, you know, we just kind of stayed in that area. I graduated high school and then went off to college about an hour out of my hometown. You know, I was doing really well uh, freshman year, like my grades were really good and stuff, but I wasn't too sure what I wanted to do career wise. Uh, So I actually started dabbling and reselling a little bit at that point, just on the side, um, just it was sort of an accident. One day I sold something on the internet that I had lying around the house. I think it was maybe some shoes or a backpack or something. I don't really remember the specifics, uh, but I ended up selling it on the internet for more than I paid for it. And I was like, holy crap, this is a thing that happens. Who knew? And this was before you knew anything about yeah, no, reselling had, being a thing. I had no idea that reselling was a thing at that point. I mean, like, My stepdad sold stuff that he found in the garbage at yard sales, but I wasn't really like, oh, that's reselling. Like I didn't, you know, I didn't. Like most people, you weren't thinking, oh, this can be a full time career. Yeah. You were just doing it like most college students who are like, oh, it's just a way to make beer money or whatever. Pretty much. Yeah. So I started selling a little bit of like some personal stuff. And then I started going to the thrift stores a little bit to pick up some things here and there, but nothing too crazy. Uh, but I was, yeah, I was able to make, you know, beer money, pizza, whatever, all the crap that a college student needs and craves. You know, at the end of my freshman year, I was in the middle of doing like an intensive like summer course where it was like two weeks of sitting in a classroom for 12 hours a day, which was just fantastic. I, 10 out of 10 would suggest to any human being. And then towards the end of that, my mother passed away and I had to go back to my hometown and just kind of deal with all of that. And it was, it was a lot. I ended up taking off from school a semester to just try to deal with all of that. Uh, it kind of left me not really sure what I wanted to do because before that I was kind of going towards like nursing, uh, but taking off the semester messed up like the way that everything aligned. They essentially booted me from the nursing program because of that. I would have to wait like another year to join the nursing program again. And then I just kind of fell into a little bit of a funk dealing with everything too. So I opted to get a degree in English, not because I wanted a degree in English per se, but because it at least let me have a degree. And then I, you know, did the classes for nursing as well, like the ones that they would let me get into without being a nursing major. That way, if I wanted to come back at a later date and finish the degree, I could. And so I did graduate and then I opted to move here with Ken. And yeah, that's pretty much our background. You know, it was just this spontaneous meeting that led to now we've been together almost four years. That sounds about right. And, you know, we're pretty happy. We have a house and two cats and a dog. Life is pretty good. Even the world is ending around us. You know, we're doing okay. So that gives you a pretty decent background on where both of us came from and how we started this business. 
And like I said, we originally were mostly doing outlets and that was great. It was so easy. All you had to do was, you know, go pick up the pair's photo and have them listed and they pretty much sold themselves. They were new with tags. I would say yes and no. So they were they were definitely selling for us, but they were I mean they were easy. I loved how easy they were for sure, but they definitely took longer to sell well, because we couldn't be as flexible in the pricing. That and we didn't have much of an inventory. That too. We did not want to put that kind of money in the business. We were trying to make it self-sustaining. One of the things that I'm trying to put out there with this podcast is the fact that as a business and as a reselling community, we should be transparent with our numbers. I know it's scary to put yourself out there that way, but it's really the best way to grow because you have a more concrete understanding of what works and what doesn't. So one of our goals every week will be to go over our three platforms that we sell on and our numbers overall to give you an idea of how we're doing week to week. So for this past week, uh, from the 2nd to the 8th, we sold 69 items for a total of around $29.90. Our cost of goods for that stuff was right around $1,500, and we had a net profit of a, about $1,500 as well, with an average sales price of $43. This is kind of becoming our new normal, at least for the past two months. And I don't know if it's because we've been trying to incorporate eBay more recently or if it's, you know, because everyone's at home right now. But it seems to be a very common thing for us to sell around this amount every week as of recently, which is great. I mean, it's way more than what we try. So our weekly goal is to try to hit, you know, at least 2000 total in sales because that leads to a monthly net profit that allows us to keep Eric full-time and be sustainable at this business and keep growing. So, you know, doing 3000 in sales uh, almost this past week is great. That's what we consider a good week. Even now, after having moved uh, at least half of our inventory or what, 60 to 70% of our inventory onto eBay, Poshmark is still our best platform. So this past week, out of the 69 sales, 43 came from Poshmark, 19 came from eBay, and 7 from Mercari. Mercari is more of a tertiary platform for us. It was the second one that we incorporated because I was a little more nervous to get into eBay after hearing all the sort of negative feedback and returns that people were getting on there. It wasn't until just end of March, beginning of April, when I started moving everything onto eBay. But within a month, our total sales on eBay were almost the same as what we did in a year on Mercari. Yeah. You can tell how huge eBay is if you really commit and work with their sort of quirky, you know, systems that they have in place that they don't want to change because it's too late at this point. The other big thing that happened this week is that we had done this buyout of 500 shoes. This was mostly, you know, out of necessity, really more than just us wanting to do this because 
the past two months, we haven't sourced at all. We were lucky enough that before this lockdown went into effect, we had been sourcing, you know, Saturdays and Sundays every weekend and had built up this big death pile of like four to 500 pairs. As we were going through that, we didn't really have any options but to try and reach out and find someone who we could buy more shoes from. And we got lucky and connected with someone who sold us a good chunk of his inventory. And now I'm drowning in boxes. There's 14 boxes that came. I've gone through about six of them at this point and I've already run out of room so the boxes are gonna have to chill for a little bit while I like organize that inventory into like you know what we can sell what needs to just be gotten rid of and because there's been you know there's been some stuff that doesn't quite meet our standards so we'll just pass on that inventory I would say about 10% of the stuff that we bought isn't up to the standards that we would like or you know just weird stuff like we got two left shoes for one pair and you know sometimes they're just too worn for us to try to restore back to you know being as good as we need them to be there was one pair that was a size 12 and another that was a size 8 right like just random stuff where You just kind of accept that it's a part of doing bulk buys like this, that you're going to have a certain amount that's just not sellable and you can either just donate it or get rid of it, you know, whatever you want to do. That's pretty much where our stores are right now. One of the things that has now become a weekly thing is customer issues because now that we're on eBay, it's a very normal thing for us to get a few returns, you know? So last month we almost sold a hundred pairs on there. I think it was 96 pairs in April and we had four or five returns this past week. And that's a lot for us. When you're used to Poshmark where I think we had 10 returns total yeah, in over 1100 pairs to have five in a week, it's jarring. It's just something that it took me a long time to like build up my mental sort of, you know, ability to deal with because I don't like returns at all. So most of them were not anything major. Like one person returned a pair of Zoom Pegasus 32s that they were just saying they were a little more worn that they wanted. And that's fine. We don't care. You can return it. You know, we have 30 day returns on all of our pairs. There was another Converse. It was like a black laurel tribal pair that they said they liked, but you know, they were just returning because it had a cigarette smell and okay, go ahead and return it. But just to be clear, neither of us smoke. I think people just like giving some random reason to return instead of saying, I don't like these or they don't fit or whatever it is. And that's fine. You know, I'm not gonna, I don't ever that's one thing like i i will never argue with anyone on ebay if you want to return it go ahead i don't care we had two weird returns one was one person bought two pairs of nike shocks one week apart and then after they got both pairs they threatened to leave us negative feedback unless we gave them some sort of a partial refund or something like that i've you know sort of gotten used to the fact that there will be people who try stuff like that on ebay so i just ignored it if you're gonna leave me negative feedback you can return the shoes i don't care if you want to return them we will take them back you don't have to threaten us with negative feedback that doesn't accomplish anything my feelings are if you're gonna lie why don't you lie better and i don't mean that in like a rude way but like you bought a shoe from us 
a week later, after you had long received the shoe, looked at the shoe, worn the shoe, whatever, bought another shoe from us, then you got that shoe, and then you're like, oh, these both are broken. What is that? It's not a well-thought-out plan, so I just I ignored it, and then they never ended up doing anything, so I think that's, you know, in the books as far as I'm concerned. And then we had one really angry woman return a pair of Brooks. And I don't know if she was just having a bad day or what was going on. She got the pair and she immediately opened up an INAD case, which is a item not as described and wrote on there that, oh my God, these aren't the original insoles. It was this like huge conspiracy where we were trying to scam her or something. And the photo she had taken for the INAD case, she had like pulled both the insoles out and like was showcasing like, oh, they, they aren't the original insoles. And the reality is we don't always notice things like that because it was a black pair of insoles inside of like a dark pair of brooks you know we don't always catch yeah unfortunately mistakes do happen but she seemed to think that we were purposely going out of our way to ruin her day or something yeah i don't you know i just told her yeah that's fine return them i understand i'm you know I'm sorry that I didn't notice, and I will put that in the description when we relist them. The insoles are definitely important to some people, and I totally understand some people really need that cushioning and support, but other people buy Brooks for their traction abilities. Not everyone needs Brooks original insoles, or people have, you know, different... Um, uses foot. Well, no, not uses, but like foot issues. So right. they might have to put a custom pair of insoles right. in anyway. So those people aren't necessarily going to care. I mean, so. the amount of times I've seen hokas and brooks in the wild worn by people who just wear them as lifestyle shoes is pretty high that's fair so it's like they're just a comfy pair of shoes so i thought it would be kind of a, a fun thing to do is to just kind of go back and talk about some of our best sales that we've had going uh so one of my favorite sales was we stopped in this uh random thrift shop that we hadn't been to previously and there were these tory birch wedges there and they had them for 4.99 and I was like, these look brand new. So we picked those up. We brought them home. Didn't even have to clean them. I just got the price off of the bottom. And then we listed them. They were gone probably within the month, I'd say, for 139 Yeah. I mean, Tory Birches don't move real quick for us. But when they do sell, it's usually, you know, in the 120 range. It's a healthy sale for sure. And just last month, we had found this pair of Versace gold medallion high top boots. And, you know, we checked how to quality check them and they looked real. So we listed them high. The problem with really expensive or really custom looking pairs is that you're not going to find comps for them. We listed them at like $2.99 or something. Well, I had seen comps for some that looked very similar. Right. Or, or almost exactly the same. And they were like going around 230 or so. That's usually our strategy for when we don't really know what something is worth. We'll just list it high. And if someone offers, we'll take it. If it's a decent offer, we'll take it. So this guy offered us 180 on a 290. And I was like, that's fine. We paid $8. Right. Like it's not like it's not going to hurt us to hold off for an extra hundred for no reason. So we yeah. can pay it forward a little bit and give someone else a pretty sick deal on a nice pair of shoes. Right. And you know, he gave us five star and a love note. He mm. was very happy with, uh, the pair that he got. So, you know, everyone's happy. Uh, there was this pair of vans that I had found. Uh, they had kiss 
all over the sides and they was just, you know, they were beautiful. I loved them. As soon as I saw them, I just saw dollar signs in my head. Uh, the thrift store wanted $4 for them and I was just like, $4 works for me. Yeah. Uh, they came home with us and they're really limited edition. Like they're pretty old. So at this point there's just not a lot of like healthy pairs and this was in pretty good condition. So right. they sold pretty quickly after that. It was like, like two days. It was like a couple of days and we got 90 bucks on those, which yeah, we probably could have gotten a little bit higher, but the comps weren't that much higher. And I was cool with making a quick flip on this one. Honestly, if you ever find sneakers that are like band collaborations of like pretty popular bands, like Kiss is an obvious pickup, right? Mm -hmm. So if you see something like that, just get it because more than likely you can sell it for 10 times the value because sure. they just don't exist out there anymore. Uh, though it is better to make sure that it's a brand, like that it's a collaboration with a good brand as well. Right. So these were Vans, which are well-known, extremely like loved by the community who love Vans. So Vans and Kiss, it's just like, could you name a better combo? Right. So going to our best sale this week was this pair of foam posit pros that I thought were freaking cool. You know, foam posits in general are a pretty cool pair of basketball shoes, but this version had the ability to pull off the swooshes and put on different ones. And we know that people make different ones, but the ones that we had had the metallic swoosh, which is pretty valued and sought after pair. Yeah. I mean, it's from the swoosh pack that they made for a while there. It's been a couple years, I think, since they've made a swoosh pack foam posit. So a lot of people are out there looking for them because they were super popular when they were, you know. I listed them and they sold within a day for like 20 under what I was asking. So I think we had them listed for 140. And they went for 120 and, you know, the guy paid shipping. So fingers crossed that he doesn't hate them, but they were in really good condition. So I think we should be okay. So that's the first episode of A Thrifted Pair Podcast. We appreciate that you guys listened. And if you guys have any feedback or want to send us any questions, you can send it to us directly. Like I said, on Instagram at little elm goods or at little elm thrifts and you can also email us at a thrifted pair at gmail.com and that's it for this week we hope you join us next week